and welcome to the Christina Talks podcast. So today's guest is someone that I met during a business mastermind. And when this person started to talk about what they're doing in business and basically like some of the activities they're involved in, I thought this is someone I really want to talk to one-to-one. And of course it made sense to have them on the podcast as well. So without kind of going over things now and then going over it again when I, I speak to this wonderful guy. Um, let me introduce to you Richard Stone. Hi, Richard. How are you doing? I'm right. <clears throat> How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Welcome to the Christina Talks podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're very welcome. Very welcome. So um, we'll just dive straight into things because I know you're really, really busy and I can see it looks like you, are you out on a job at the minute? I am. I'm in South London at the moment. Fantastic. So um, why don't you just give us a little bit of an introduction into sort of who you are and, and what you do? Okay, so I will try and keep it as brief as possible. So uh, I guess principally, uh, people probably know me best as being as a building contractor. Um, I own and run a building contracting business um, that work for block management clients. Um, we also have a property development business that build out individual dwellings in sort of small back garden plots, which we're looking to upscale this year. Um, I coach and mentor other people. I do work with um, three different charities for young people, um, which is kind of probably arguably my biggest passion um, in life. Um, I'm a drone pilot. I'm a qualified drone pilot. What else do I do? I podcast. I public speak. Yeah, a little bit of everything, I guess. It's probably... And when they're not doing all of that, I spend probably 30 to 40 hours a week on personal development. So I think this is exactly what happened when we first met. You sort of, you, you're, you're very humble and you, you start talking, you're basically like, yeah, I'm a, you know, a, you know, you're in the construction stuff and you do it, the property stuff, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden all this stuff comes out and you're like, hold on, wait a minute, you do what? And what? And, and you do that too. And it is, I mean, let's pick up on sort of the personal development stuff, okay? Because I know that's, or you just said, 30, 40 hours a week committed to that. That's like absolutely huge. And I think when people think about personal development, they, you kind of have this sort of vision, if you like, of someone that's a bit woo, you know? And like, neither of us, I was going to say neither of us are woo, you know? It's like... um, and then obviously we we planned to do this like a couple of months ago. And I know in the we last did. couple of days you've been I saw your post on Facebook with the the eyeglass, I don't even know what it's called. Oh my mind spa, yeah. Your mind spa. Yeah. That's what it's called. I didn't make it up. That's what that's what it's called. That's the branding of the that is the branding of the product. Um as as it as you buy it, that's what it's called, mind spa. But yeah, it's, it very much is a spa for your mind. Excellent. So, what got you into the personal development stuff? What like what was the like what, what got me? Okay, so to talk, I need to rewind probably probably about seven or eight years, I guess. Um, to so I've been I've been in senior management for. Um, for regional and national building contractors. Um, I was in, I've always done construction. I used to be in trades. 
moved into construction management, um, had kind of like the classroom sort of training. Um, but, but apart from when I was at Kenyans, I was on a pro, uh, personal development program. That was it really. Um, and it was in my, the last position I had for another business before we set our own, um, group of companies up when I sat down. So I'd been asked, I'd been headhunted to basically take over as operations manager of a 20 million pound reactive maintenance company uh, with a view to taking over the role of MD after a year. So sort of three, four months into the role, maybe, maybe six months. Um, I sat down with the chairman or the MD rather to go through like how things were going. Um, everything was gravy. Everything was fine. Um, and then we started talking about sort of what did I want? What, you know, wh where did I think my areas for growth might come from as opposed to kind of like weaknesses, which is rather how I prefer to talk about them because I like to just keep it real. And my big one was public speaking. And the fact that I can pitch, I can go and deliver a, sl a slide deck to a potential, to a prospect to secure like a, bit, a construction project. But actually standing there public speaking was a massive, humongous fear, like off the charts fear. And he said to me, look, he said, I totally get that. He said, why don't you? He said, in the town, there's like a book club that meets every Thursday evening to, 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 to read a book and to go for a book. I was like, okay. I said, where did you hear about this? He went, oh, my mum goes. I was like, listen, it's really simple. I thought you knew me better than that. But if you think I'm going to go and sit with a load of blue rinses and chat shit about Jackie Collins, that ain't my style. That's not going to happen. So he was like, wow. Okay. What are we going to do? We both need to think about it. So we both committed to sort of putting some time aside to think about it. The next week, like literally within about probably five days, I went to a meeting with the national housing maintenance forum. Um, like an, a monthly or quarterly review, I think it was. Um, and they were, they were talking about wanting to put together a panel of people to deliver a presentation at the National Housing Conference at the NEC. And I had this kind of like, and I've, I've, I've thought about this a lot, and it was like an absolute involuntary response, which was that I stuck my hand up. And I've always, and I've massively upscaled this since I started my journey into personal development, but I have this real thing about creating like a proper, like hardcore accountability. And I think for me, that was the hardcore accountability was if I'm going to stand in front of people at the NEC, no less, and talk about what is the right sort of building company for your project, I can't escape that. You know, that's going to be all over merch. That's going to be all over. I mean, it wasn't called merch and it was called brand and stuff. It's going to be on their website. You know, once it, once I agree to do it, I can't get out of it. So I've got to work out what this fear is and I've got to try and work through it. So uh, four or five weeks later, um, we went away for a week with a family to Centre Parks and um, I was sitting talking to my wife one night about about stuff and my career and her job and stuff. And she was like, what are you going to do? I said, well, I've got this thing that I need, to, I need to talk to you about. I need to work out how to do it. And she just said to me straight away, without a second's hesitation, you need to speak to this guy. And I'd met a few people in her job, 
but I've not met loads of them because to be honest, the thought of a social event with a load of coppers in a room is like my worst nightmare as a building contractor. It's not always been straight down the line. Let me just say, <laughs> the thought of spending an evening in a room full of coppers is not my ideal ideal sort of social engagement. And I'd never met the guy. So she said, look, I'll text him just to have a call with him. And this was before this phrase, let's all jump on a call came about because um, this was pre-COVID. Um, so I had a chat with this guy and he is one of the top hostage negotiators in the country. But he's also massively into NLP and mindset. Um, and he's no, he's no longer a police officer anymore. He, uh, he's a coach now. Um, so yeah, I spent four or five months working with him. Um, did all sorts of like different types of work on myself. Um, got to got to Birmingham the night or the afternoon of the day before. We've got a brilliant slide deck which we sort of worked on the four four of us together. So there was me, another guy, and two ladies, um, and um, and then we added another lady in who was the BDM at the company I worked at. So there was there was there ended up being five of us. So we get there the day before. Everything's fine. There's four of the five of us there. And we'd arranged to meet. And this the, one of the guys had blown out of a couple of meetings, but he was still very much engaged in the group chat and he was still sort of throwing stuff in. And, and it got to about six o'clock the night before. And he sent us all a text saying, um, I'm not going to be able to make it. And we were like, okay. And anyone that's really close to me will tell you that one of my things is I'm very, very chivalrous. So I will always hold a door open for someone else, but I will absolutely always hold a door open for a lady. And if there's, a, if there's something that someone's struggling with, I will be there to help them. I don't know why, it's just how I'm wired. Um, and the slides that the guy, the other guy is going to do um, we're all about commercials and the, like the numbers, which is, that is probably, I mean, I'm sort of operational and commercial and I can do both and I've been very successful at doing both. So I don't have an issue with it. Um, the, the ladies that are in the group, it's less so their kind of field. So I was like, look, I'll pick up his slides, but we'll need to redistribute like my slides. So we threw the whole slide deck up in the air. Everyone had to learn new slides. We knew the whole content, but we all had to learn learn sort of new slides. Um, and then the next day we're, um, we're in the room ready to go. And I have never been, I was away. I had about an hour's sleep. I was on the phone to my coach doing a run through at like 6am. I mean, who speaks to their coach at 6am? I didn't in those days. I do now, um, every week, but yeah, it was, uh, oh yeah, it was, <laughs> I can, and the really funny thing is my body, I can actually feel physically in my body right now the feelings I felt on that day and it was it was all manner of things I mean we we part of it so part of the presentation was we were doing a complete slide deck and then following that it was like a round table event so there was there was exercises for people to do based on a set of questions so we wanted to break up the kind of the little clicks of people that would go to the conference together so as people walked into the room we gave them a piece of colored paper in each of the primary colors and then they were going to be split into groups based on that. So we were stood by the door in the morning. And it was also a really good way for me to kind of just sort of say a few words to each person as they walked in, which is a really good thing to do when you're public speaking. So that if ever you get to the point where your nerves 
start to overwhelm you. You can look at someone that you've sort of built some rapport with around the room, just have just a split second of eye contact and it will bring your calm back down. So we were doing that as people were walking in and lo and behold, one of the, probably the first quarter of people that walked in the room was the QS on the first job that I'd ever worked on when I was 16. And I'm going to stand in front of this room of people and talk about commercials and numbers. And he's now MD of a national contractor. So the pressure went from being sort of down here to back up to pressure cooker level. And I was like, oh my word, what am I going to do? So, so we delivered it. The slides, slides went down really well. The question set worked really well. We got some really amazing feedback. Um, and the event of the, the feedback that was given to other people outside of the room post event was absolutely brilliant. <coughs> some of the stuff people, I found it really humbling. Some of the stuff people said about me, um, three, four months later, um, I had a conversation with my boss and it was quite apparent that there probably wasn't space in the business for both of us. So I left and set up the um, contracts and businesses that we've got now. And that was when I really kind of started to um, really started massively to start looking at my own personal development and also counseling as well. Um, I mean, I think probably, probably my proudest ever day, I would say was the post that I put on social media saying that I was going to see a counselor the next day. And yes, I've made people over 35 million pound in profit for projects I've run, I've mentored and coached people that have now gone on and, and they're running like big, big, massive companies and doing really well. But the one post that I put on social media saying that I was going to see a counsellor helped over 30 people reach the same conclusion and to go out and get help. And for me, that's, I can't probably ever do a better day's work than I did by just doing that one simple video. You know, it's counseling in the uk is it's still that thing that people don't want to talk about they don't want to admit to it sort of goes on behind closed doors doesn't it it's you know people are not you know if you look at the states it's you know people going to see a therapist it's kind of it's part of the culture it's quite it's far more normalized than it is here and yet it's it's one of the most powerful you know i've been through the same thing and to have those sessions, it's one of the most powerful exercises that I've, I've ever been through. And the, the commitment to show up knowing you're going to talk about things you don't really want to talk about. Absolutely. And they're the, they're the things, but they're the things that you need to talk about. And we, you're quite right. There is a huge huge stigma attached to it in the UK and it, and you know, and that's why I, I mean, somebody said something to me after I'd done that post about, and it was really interesting because it was a person that I didn't, we weren't connections. We were sort of third degree connections. And I actually went back and sort of looked into this after probably six months. Um, and one of the people that reached out actually went and saw a counselor and I still speak to him now every week. I mean, he, he made this really interesting point that, it's all very well for you to be able to talk about whatever you want now, which includes all manner of stuff like toxic shock syndrome, the menopause in people over 50, the menopause in people of However, There's nothing I won't talk about that, that other people do. But what his point was, was that if you were an employee in a business, would you be able to have those conversations and talk about those topics and be so open about stuff? And the answer is probably not. That was my conclusion. Because 
there's always this, and it, I don't think it really matters who you work for. There's always this kind of invisible straitjacket that you need to comply with either your boss's wishes or the company brand guidelines or whatever the company wants to call it, the marketing toolkit or whatever it might be that prohibit people from talking about that stuff. And yet in America, it's absolutely celebrated that people have coaches and people have shrinks. What, you know, why not? You know, I mean, we have 70,000 thoughts all the time going through our head. Most of them aren't true. Most of them don't serve us. And yet we take them all as gospel without actually questioning where they come from. We all have patterns and, and stories that play through our head on repeat about things that have happened. But that's our take on a situation. I mean, one of the most powerful things I ever did with, with my counsellor was to go back to some stuff that happened a long time ago. And it wasn't horrific by any means. I was bullied as a kid, which felt pretty horrific to me. But there's other people that have, that have suffered far worse stuff. Um, and we actually worked through what that looked like and how that felt in the eyes of the bully, in the eyes of the teacher, in the eyes of other people in the classroom. And in the eyes of other people, like my brother. I mean, my parents never knew, but my brother did. And that was absolutely eye-opening. Because all we do is we have these stories and these beliefs and these mindsets that are all based on what, what our take is on the world. And yet that's one, one second of one minute of a degree in a circle that's 360 degrees. It's such a tiny, tiny, tiny polarised, angle that we don't see how the rest of the world view stuff and for me that was one of the biggest things that I got from counselling and why I loved it so much so I mean like with with the counselling for me it was a I sort of did about six months solid and then I took a bit of a break from it and now you know like I you know if I felt there was something I needed to discuss I I would just like book a session or a couple of sessions mm -hmm. ad hoc and it's it's kind of like it feels like you just need a top up every now and yeah, then. Exactly, yeah exactly you know it's 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 like I said it is a unique experience mm. it really really is um and there were loads of things that I learned about myself and I think that was that was probably one of the activities that, you know, part of all the part of what we're talking about now, there's all this sort of societal pressures. So, you know, from a branding perspective, from a business perspective with with my team, I'm like, bring your whole self to work. Mm. I, you know, I'm I don't care as long as the clients are happy, as long as the, the vibe in the office is positive. I don't care. You know, if you're a suited and booted type rock up like that if you're like trainers and hoodie all, all day long rock up like that I really don't care but I think even so if there's still even though I'm like I've got this anything goes attitude people still have that it's that that needs to not impress but to be accepted yes you know and then they put all this focus on mm. You know, you know, oh, but if I do this, I don't think Christina will like it. And it's like, I haven't said I would or I wouldn't. It's mm. it's it's what what's going on in yep. their in their head. Um, you know, we were having a conversation about tattoos in the office. So one of the girls was getting a tattoo, and I was like, I've I've never had a tattoo. I just don't get it. I'm not anti-tattoo, I just don't get it. I wish I got it. Mm. You know, I just don't understand the money people spend on it, the experience of it. I'm just like, I, I, I just, uh, my eldest daughter has a tattoo and I'm like, I just don't get it. 
And, and that's, you know, that, that was the conversation we were having. And then some, we were doing a live stream and someone else was in the office with the tattoos and they were like trying to cover up. And I'm like, why are you covering up your tattoos? And it's like, well, because you didn't think you'd, you'd want people to see them. And I'm like, I don't care. It's who you are. If they don't exactly. like you, they're not the right client for us. If they're going to mm. not work with us because someone's got tattoos, I don't want their money. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think this is the thing. We, we're constantly trying to impress people, constantly trying to be accepted by people. And actually, if we can do that bit of work to accept ourselves, impress ourselves, like that's where every, everything changes. Yeah, massively. I mean, it all fits into Maslow, doesn't it? It's, you know, people need, have this massive, people need to feel that they need to fit in and to fit in, they need to be accepted. And they have this sort of mindset that actually, well, what does it require for me to be accepted in this environment? I mean, I was interviewing someone on my podcast three or four weeks ago, I think it was, it was a broken city. Um, and he had two strokes and that's why he sort of packed in what he was doing. But he talked about, and I have this thing about like my PPE in construction and it's kind of like my armor, which is one of the things that I talk about in my TEDx talk. And um, that's, that is exactly how he felt about wearing his three piece tailored suit to get the train into London every day. It was his costume. That was how he showed up. That's what was expected. It was expected that you wore handmade suits that when you worked in that environment and that you never wore, never wore brown shoes, which is quite funny, which is why I laugh because I actually got inducted into the, um, the worshipful company of constructors recently. Um, and I made a faux pas on my, the day of my induction, I wore a blue, a blue suit with brown shoes. Cause that's what I like. I love, I love cedar color shoes or cognac color shoes. And it's really frowned upon. Apparently no brown in town is the, is the motto. <laughs> but yeah, so that's a, that, you know, there you go. There's, there's, it's it's about so what if they have a mindset that you you're in London you should wear black shoes you know I mean it's not the 1800s there are other colours of shoes available yeah, but it, it does make it a funny old world it does now um, you talked about your passion which is sort of the 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 voluntary stuff the the charities you're involved with working with kids so tell us a bit tell us a bit about that again sort of what what led you to that. The charities you're involved. Let's plug the charities. Why not? Okay, cool. So um, it's something I've done on and off for years. And I'll never forget the first time I ever did it. I was actually 17 years old when I first worked at John Lang's. And they asked us to go back into schools to talk to young people about um, like roles in construction. And I was so scared. I really didn't want to do it. I was because I was like, I was fresh out of school, and school was not a great experience for me. I was kind of like, I wasn't expelled, but it was very strongly suggested to my parents in a meeting one day that we don't really want this boy in the sixth form. So I didn't have the best of educational journey. It wasn't bad, you know. It was alright. Um, so to turn up there and to, to talk to him about like jobs and stuff was really, I felt really strange. And then. When I sort of moved into construction management, part of our sort of CSR stuff um, was that we would do talks in schools. And I, I started to grow to enjoy it so much so that even when it wasn't a contract requirement and we were working sort of with a school within a mile or so, we'd actually try and engage with them and get to go and explain about what the job was so that kids understood about the fact that there was a site nearby. And the more I did it, I just, I suppose, just became more 
I enjoyed it more. I, I engaged with it more and I found that the kids engaged with, with me more. And I just kind of grew to love it. And when I was at MCP, I had a conversation. We were doing some stuff with a couple of charities. I had a conversation with the HR manager who I have the most time in the world for because if there are two people that I've worked with in businesses that have taught me the most, ironically, neither of them know anything about construction and they're both female. And I love talking about this because people have this massive thing that to run a construction business, you need to know about building. You don't. You need to know about people. And both of these women knew about people. But to come back to the point, so so we were talking about doing some stuff at school and she was like, they won't want to hear from you, Richard. I know it'd be really great and you really want to do it, but they won't want to hear from you. You're too old. There's too big a gap between where they're at and where you're at. And it was quite funny because when I was at the MCIOB recently getting my graduation, uh, the chair, the outgoing chairman has this phrase, which I've stolen because I think it's absolutely brilliant, called pale, male and stale. And it sums up perfectly the, what the, the operational board of most construction businesses look like in the UK because, the, you know, there is absolutely zero diversity. And the way that we're going to tackle that is by engaging with young people, getting them to understand actually what the world of work looks like and what it need, what they need to do to show up because a lot of traditional careers advice doesn't really serve them very well. You know, what, what do you want to see as an employer when you're, when you're interviewing people that are sort of 16 and 18 years old, they haven't got, you know, it's the great thing, isn't it? We want you to be fresh faced and, and great, but we want you to have five years experience. Well, you can't have both. So if you're trying to invite applications from people that are school leavers, you can't expect them to have an amazing CV that demonstrates their commitment. But what you can do is you can unpack what's gone on in their life from childhood or from, from birth to now to understand actually what their behaviours are, what their values are, how you know what's their mindset. Because all of those kinds of things, you can't really teach someone. You can't really teach someone about values and beliefs. You can understand with them and work with them to educate them that there are other values and there are other beliefs out there. You can work with people on their mindset and you can teach people anything. But you can't teach someone to, to have morals and morals. So that's why I enjoy doing it because working with young people at that level, they then start to understand that they are worth something, that that people will spend time with them and people will invest time in them. And then you can start to have conversations with them about what their potential might look like and what they may be capable of achieving. And there is no better feeling on this planet than when someone who's a young person realises that actually they have the capability within themselves to go out there and smash it. You know, you mentioned the like the career advice that they get. You know, it's like my daughter, my youngest daughter, sixteen, and um, they've they've just done the career advice stuff at school. You know, where we are, we're quite a rural area. It's quite, it's a it's a fairly affluent area, you know. And but obviously, you know, all areas they have their you know there's the pockets of sort of you know, yep. lower income families or. Fam, you know, families where maybe there's some challenges there, that kind of thing. And and she was sort of saying she, you know, she went into this room with this career advice professional and essentially she was profiled. Mm. 
You know, and the questions she was asked were not about what she might be interested in doing or, you know, anything like that. It was like, where do you live? What do your parents do for a living? Oh, you'll be okay then. Next. Yeah. It's like a school medical, isn't it? If you run through the gym at sort of 15 miles an hour and you don't trip over the bench, you're not blind. <coughs> it's absolutely shocking. And, it, you know, it doesn't... I mean, I'm really, I'm really fortunate. My parents said to me that we don't care what you do. Just be the best at whatever it is you choose to do. So if you want to go and sweep the streets, just make sure you're the best person sweeping the streets. If you want to be a chippy, just be the best person at second fixing. If you want to be a brain surgeon, be the best brain surgeon that the world's ever seen. And I try, I try and have that same sort of attitude with my children and my stepchildren because at the end of the day, more than anything, we want our kids to be happy. And they're not going to be happy if they're stuck in some dross job that either is not fulfilling their potential or potentially more harmfully is them living out someone else's fantasy. And that's that what I see loads, the amount of people that I've come across in like 30 years in construction now, where people are actually, they're in it for the wrong reasons and, and not just in the world of work, you know, I mean, my stepson's was he, 15 and a half and for five years he played rugby and I, my, probably my, I can't think of the right word to articulate the weight of it, but probably my, one of my lowest points actually is the day that he said to me, I don't want to play rugby anymore because I don't even like it, but I've not been able to tell you. Because I wouldn't ever, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want somebody to do something because they feel that it's what I, I want or I expect of them. It's, you know, I want people to do what they want and what they choose to do that makes them happy and lights their fire in themselves. My, my son's, what is he, 18 now? He wants to be a fashion designer. So we've been and looked around different unis around the country and he wants to go off and be the next Alexander McQueen or Vivian Westwood or I don't know. I'm not, I'm not terribly into fashion, but the next Jean-Paul Gaultier or someone that's great in fashion, that's like catwalk kind of couture type fashion, you know, and I don't care what whether he, whether he does or what role he does in fashion. I just want him to be happy and successful in what he's doing. And it's the same with young people. I had a conversation with someone at Youth Build Ventures, which is one of the charities I do stuff with. Um, and we have kind of like a sort of, there's all sorts of different stuff. I mean, I do presentations on commercials, on jobs, on mental health in construction. Um, and then we, they, they run like speed networking events where kids can have like a one-to-one -one session as well. And in one of those, I was had a conversation with his lad about um, setting up a business because he had this mindset that you, he, he wasn't, he had an idea for a product, but he didn't believe he could ever do anything with it because he thought you needed loads of money to be able to set up a business. And literally, I ended up doing probably a 40-minute session with him, and I think it was at the end afterwards. And we went through. And I said to him, look, if you set up your purchasing structure this way and your sales structure this way and your overheads this way, you could start tomorrow. And he was like, what? I said, well, yeah, if you do this that way and do that that way, your net position is this, you'll be in profit from day one and you'll be in, you'll be cash flow positive from day from day probably ten. Well, and, and now he's got a product and he's doing he's doing pretty well. I mean, all right, he's not Jeff Bezos, but you know, he's doing okay. You know, he's paying he's paying his own way, he's giving his mum rent, and he's really, really pleased. And 
it's it's little things like that for me that that is the reason why I do it. It is. It's breaking the cycle. Yeah. How many how many stories are there out there of successful entrepreneurs? who, if you go back to their school days, they were told that they would be the failures. You know, you're never going to amount to anything. You're this, you're that. You can't do that. You can't do this. And unless there is something there to break that thinking, it's, you know, the risk is people remain pigeonholed. And I think that's the, that's, it's a sad, sad situation. It's almost a song, isn't it? I do love a bit of Elton John, but it's so true. And that's why we do need, you know, I mean, like him all over him, Rob Moore's got a massive, massive following. And one of the things I like about his, his brand and his attitude is that he will ask those questions. And, and that's why people ask me to go and consult in their businesses and why I've done some non-exist stuff before, because, you know, I'm not going to sit there and just sit there and, and okay, yeah, all right, yeah, well, I'll see you again next month. I'll be asking the question about, well, why are your sales this? Well, why, hold on a minute. Why is there money leaking out under the doormat there? Why is this happening? Why is the staff morale so crap? Why have another 10 people left this month? Why are you struggling to recruit? Because in asking those awkward and, di- and difficult questions, that's where those little tiny nuggets of gold come from that actually make the biggest of differences. But people, people don't want to people and it comes back to people want to be accepted. They want to fit in. They want to be, you know, they want to be friends with the people that they work with. Great. And I will never forget. I nearly, I nearly very, very nearly got beaten up very badly in a nightclub. Um, it wasn't a nightclub. It was a restaurant actually. Um, quite some years ago, I got parachuted into a business that had got a few problems. Um, on quite a lot of their projects and I got asked if I'd go. And so I went and started this role and it was looking at one project to start with, which was fine. We sorted that out. And then very quickly it became apparent that the lack of process and systems throughout meant there were problems in other areas. They asked me to go and look at this other project up in North London, which I did. Um, and I formed quite a good relationship with VMD and I got invited to a client entertaining evening at a restaurant in London. And this guy came over to me and I'd been and looked around his project for a day. And I'd got a little bit of an inkling as to what was going on, but it would take a bit more of a deep dive before we really uncovered what the true position was. Um, and then the MD introduced, introduced us, introduced me to him. I suppose it's fine, but I've already met. And then he introduced me to this other site manager whose project I was also going to look at. And this guy just looked at me. And you know when somebody just stands and looks at you, looks you physically looks you up and down. And I said, look, I'm really pleased to meet you. Um, I look forward to sort of joining you on your job. And he started to sort of go into this little rant about, you don't need to come in this. I'm family, blood's thicker than water, nothing wrong with my job. And I said, look, I'm not here to make friends and I'm not here to piss people off. I'm just here with a very specific set of instructions to undertake an exercise and do a CVR on your project. That's it. Yeah, you're not here to make friends. Yeah, you're not going to fit in. And this bloke picked his coat up, stormed off out of the bar and left. And he was like, but before he did, he turned to me and he looked at me and he went, you don't know who I am. And it turned out that he was quite, let's just say he'd been quite handy. And we, and ironically, I've actually got a really, really, really lovely picture of me and him at a ball 
um, a year or so later because we we went on to become quite good friends and um, we did sort his project out, which did have the problems that I thought it had. <laughs> um, but we worked we worked together and we we got some systems and stuff put in place and we sort of stopped the rot and worked out what the issues were and we and we we fixed them. So um, it was a, it was a really really good piece of work to do. But a lot of it comes from like acceptance, not wanting to give people bad news. Well. I would rather have a harsh truth any day of the week than somebody sit there and give me a load of painful sort of like blowing smoke up your ass because all the all that happens at the end of the day is it becomes a problem later down the line when you can't do anything to deal with it. Honesty is difficult in those situations, isn't it? It's, you know, it's yep. that. I think my issues, I've, I've always been too honest, really. You know, and so, sometimes that works out really well for you, and other times it does shoot you. In, you know, you are shooting yourself in your own foot, kind of thing. But um, yeah, I, there are those situations where you know you're trying to get something out of someone, and especially in a, in a work environment when you're talking to employees. And you know, you, I'm quite direct. I'm, I'm not good with all the fluff. So, well, I don't know. When I'm on the receiving end, I prefer direct. I think I actually give a lot of fluff. Um, but I remember we had someone stop and it was their first couple of days and I'd, I'd asked something and it was like a yes or no question. And they came back with all this fluff. And I was like, look, if we like, if this is going to work out, you've like, well, if I ask you things like that, you just got to say yes or no. I don't like, it's, it's not a problem either way, mm. but just, just be honest because we can, we can move forward then. But yeah, like I said, it, it's um, yeah. Sometimes honest, honesty is always the best policy. But like I said, I think sometimes I can be too honest. Yeah, I think it's about it's about doing it, but it's it's honesty from a point of point of respectfulness. I mean, I I remember probably well, I don't I know it was actually it was sixteen years ago because ironically I actually found a sick note from a doctor and I hurt my back fifteen years ago and it was before then. And the company I worked for, I inherited this QS um, or quantity slash. And um, someone else had interviewed him. Someone else had second interviewed him and offered. Um, and it was very much a case of, right, hey, Charles said, right, we're, we're employing this guy. Um, he, he's going to fix your your requirement for QS. And I sat down with him and had a cup of coffee on his first day and did like his sort of induction because as an ISO sort of business and an IIP credit company, we had quite good processes and systems for inducting people. And it was really apparent within about 20 minutes. <laughs> God, I didn't have a... I'm just going to swear then. <laughs> Didn't have an absolute clue. You know, he probably was more akin to QS the clothing shop or whatever it was than he was actually quantity surveying. And it was like, seriously? And I saw, I went and spoke to the lady who ran this, ran the HR, because at the time we had, I think it was four or five people in the HR department. And she was like, no, 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 no. Here's his CV, here's his references. Like, he's a good guy. You've got the wrong end of the stick. And, and I was like, what do you mean I've got the wrong end of the stick? And she went, well, you're from the old school, like the school where you've learned like, learnt it the hard way. Maybe he learnt it like the college way. I was like, okay. So so the, basically we had to give him like a month, a month to prove himself. And we got to the end of the month and I was like, look, this is really, really not happening. <laughs> you know, there's some pretty fundamental basics. and But every time you ever asked him to do anything, like, I mean, I said, I'll never forget, I asked him to do um, like a cost value reconciliation on this job. 
I said to Mike, go and have a look around, just go and meet the site team, see what the crack is, find out what's happening and do this, do this cost. For, do you understand the pros? Do you understand what, what that, what that entails? Yeah, I think so. But could you just tell me how your company do it? I was like, it's a principle. That's like saying, can you tell me how people in your company breathe in? We don't do it. It's, it's, it's essentially, it's taking a photograph of an event that captures a moment in time. The CVR is exactly the same. It says, this is the cost, this is the value, and hopefully there's some profit at the bottom of it. We don't do it any differently to anyone else, but I'll certainly walk you through the guidance notes and the template. So we spent a day in the office going through that. Seven days later, still no CVR. And that was on, on the Friday. And we sort of had quite a frank conversation Anyway, on the Monday, I got an email from this guy saying, um, here's the draft CVR. I would welcome the opportunity to go through it with you. So, okay. So I, I, I opened, I was working at home. It was on, I think I got the email on Sunday afternoon. And I opened this email and there's all these figures in there. It was just like round numbers. I'm like, this doesn't seem, this isn't right. These should be like actual defined sums. These sums just put plug figures in here. And when I sat down with him, it was quite apparent he never clue what he's doing. So I said to HR, look, you know, this guy, I don't care what, what his CV says, and I don't really care what the references say, but I would be interested in having a conversation with a couple of the people you've taken references from. Um, because the guy hasn't got the experience that, that we need for someone um, to fulfil that role. And they were like, oh, okay, well, all right. So I went and spoke to a couple of the companies and one of them one of them just said, look, yeah, he worked here from X to Y and that was it. And the other guy said, look, it's really simple. He said, what trade were you? And I was like, well, I've done a few different things. He went, well, I was a chippy. He said, and when times were hard, sometimes you might have to like, and this guy was in his 70s, so he was a chippy, sort of, he'd, he'd seen service in the war. So he'd come out, come out of service, because gone back to being a chippy. He said, when times are hard, sometimes you might have to pawn a couple of your tools. He went, you never get rid of your sharpest chisel, trust me. <laughs> and that always, always stuck with me as a way to describe someone. So, yeah, it's um, dealing with people's expectations is really hard. And the other, the other kind of thing that, that I see a lot in construction, and it's relatively new. It didn't used to happen, but it's happening more as the shortage of decent staff becomes more apparent. Is this kind of like whole over-promotion? Giving people titles that are like way beyond their skill set and their capability and also their experience. And I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago, and so it's kind of, it is a little bit secondhand, but the guy I know I've known 20 years, so I trust what he's saying. And he was, he was looking for, um, a QS to, to run it, to work in his company. And he's not, not a massive company. So he didn't need like somebody with somebody with like 40 years experience. And he had a conversation with a recruitment consultant. And he said, but the problem is now that all of these like young QSs that are sort of 25 to 28, they're all being called commercial managers by, by other businesses. So they want commercial manager money. Yeah. So, you know, these kids that are like 25, 28 years old, only 70 and 80 grand. My commercial manager when I worked at Langs, Tim Bicknell, was in his 50s. And he was proper old school and he was proper hardcore. I and mean, the only thing the kids didn't have was a waistcoat. He was so prim. And you didn't, you didn't even, yes, Mr. Bicknell, you stuffed your cap to him as he walked past almost. It's 
And now I'm like, what? And you do see it quite a lot, especially when, I mean, I mean, I, I think I've got something like 8,000 something connections on LinkedIn. And obviously most of them are sort of construction sort of, or property-based people. And some of the people that have like got, got these titles, I'm like, but you haven't got the experience. Everyone's so, a manager now. Everyone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're a nation of managers, aren't we? We don't actually, we don't make very much anymore. And that's really sad. But we can't compete with the, you know, the cost of employing people in this country means that we're, you know, it's not a level playing field with other parts of the world. And with the sort of the right, I mean, one of my neighbours works in um, like Global Freight. She's one of, I don't know what her title is, but she's quite high up in Maersk shipping. And the amount of stuff that gets shipped around the world these days, you know, it's the very, and the speed of acquisition, the speed that they can get something from the other side of the world or from the far east into the UK on a, on a container ship means that, it, you know, that's why you've got T-shirts that are a pound. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, the whole recruitment world at the minute is just, it's, it's crazy. You know, it is a candidate-driven market. So the, you know, and especially in construction, there's so many skill shortages as well. It's kind of if you if there is someone there on the market, they could they're almost writing their own checks. Yeah, you know, and and it, it's 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 just not feasible for a lot of businesses, and therefore we've we've constantly got this struggle. And I mean, I, I don't know if, if it's, I don't know where we're up to actually in construction industry in terms of I know there was a there was a big sort of shortfall in terms of the properties that should be being built every year and what was actually no, still, still and, massive. Yeah, and but like even yeah, down to even down to the shortage in the materials, you know the, the I mean bricks. I think there's been a brick shortage for about six, seven years now. I did some yep. work with one of the um, so basically the, the the UK manufacturer of London brick. I did mm -hmm. some work with them about six, seven years ago. And we, we were talking about brick shortages then, and it's like I don't think it's got any better. No, I know someone I know that builds out. He doesn't build massive sites. He builds stuff that's like from one or two plots up to about 10. And he's ordering bricks like 30, 40 weeks in advance. Yeah. <clears throat> and I know when I was on the tools in the last recession, the, the drivers for, of the wagon and drags that were delivering bricks and blocks to the site, if they were told by their company, if they were they had to count how many packs of bricks and blocks were on site, and if they were more than a certain number, they were told not to tip their load. To return it to stop sites to stop sites from stockpiling. Yeah, and you know, I mean, we've just—I mean, obviously, we're sort of just just in we're in Omicron era, era, so we're post sort of COVID one. But I mean, COVID one was an absolute nightmare for sort of timber, plaster, and even some stuff. Now you can't just go into merchants and pick up certain certain timber, and prices haven't returned back to where they were pre-COVID either. But you know, you've got the perfect storm on that because you've got COVID, you've got Brexit, and then you've obviously got the debacle that happened at Suez Canal. You've got three sort of global events that all sort of crystallised into a, like I mean, some stuff's gone. I mean, scaffold tubes like 300% more expensive. That's crazy. Yep. Scaffold boards now, 20, 21 to 24 quid. Pre-COVID, they were seven to eight pounds. And I bet trying to get them is just, 
impossible. Yeah, it's it's, it's a nightmare. I mean, I know people that literally. I mean, it's the it's the board and the tube. Um, but yeah, it's not people. Stock is coming straight into a merchant and going straight back out again. But scaffold tube, they're not even cutting to size in scaffold merchants now. It's going straight out, straight out as twenty one, straight into scaffold contractors' yards, and they've then got to cut it to size themselves. Crazy. Right, we're yep. getting techie on that stuff now. I find it really interesting because my, my dad sort of does a bit of property construction okay. kind of stuff as well. And I I mean, I only do the VAT returns and that kind of thing. But I do I do get like, uh, yeah, it's, it's my other little thing that makes my brain go off. So let's um, let's get to wrapping this up. So we've we've talked about quite a few things. Um, we, we didn't get into the mentorship stuff that that you do so much, but but that's fine. But so just a quick question that kind of brings that into it and the 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 mindset, personal development stuff that you do with the businesses that you work with and the kids that you're working with as well. Like if there's if there's one thing, like one lesson that's constantly coming up, what like what what would that one lesson be? What would the one lesson be? I think it's got to be go back to the very beginning and ask yourself who you are. Because everything stems from that. If you don't know who you are and what makes you tick and what you're here for, the rest of it's immaterial. Yes, I love that answer. I love that answer. Um, I was talking to someone once and they said... Um, you'll only you'll only be happy if you're happy with the person that you wait. You know when it's like three, four o'clock in the morning and you suddenly wake up, right? And there's no one there to impress. Yep. The person you are then, if you're happy with that person, then you're on you're on a winner. Yep, absolutely. And that's always stuck with me. That's why I get up at that time every day. <laughs> Fantastic. Seriously, I do. It's because I can do that sense check. Stand in front of the mirror, look myself in the eye, cold, hard-faced, and straight in the eye. Am I happy with who I am? And then I tell myself that I love myself. Because if we don't love ourselves, how can we possibly love anyone else? Amazing. That's such a great, such a great time to wrap this up. Richard, thank you so much for today. I said I know you're really busy and um, out on site and all that kind of thing. So I really appreciate your time. Um, People want to reach out to you. LinkedIn, is that the best place? Yeah, LinkedIn. Yeah, it's probably the best place to find me. And I'll drop I'll send you um, a link to my link tree, which has got like all my sort of the different websites and different socials on there that you can put in the show notes. Excellent. That's fantastic. Richard, cool. thank you again. All right. Thank you for what has been a really pleasurable, enjoyable conversation. Thank you.